welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One of the things that stops a lot of us in our pursuits is when we see what someone else is doing to manage their pursuits and we can't picture doing it ourselves. And this can be especially true with the mission of marketing or getting ourselves noticed. Now, this is true whether your pursuit is to start your own business and get it to succeed, or whether your objective is to find the right job, the right position, the right role with a company. My guest today, Erica Holthausen, is the founder and leader of Catchline Communications. And what she does is she helps people get their articles published in many different publications as one of the possible many mechanisms that we have out there to get ourselves noticed. It doesn't have to be a social media blitz campaign. It doesn't have to be the standard methods that you always kind of think about when you think about marketing, because the mission is just to get yourself noticed, regardless of what your pursuit is. Erica, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much for hopping on Actions Antidotes. And let's begin. Tell me a little bit about Catchline Communications, because you help people not only get their publications out there, but also determine what's the right publication to reach their audience. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of what I do. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I know this publication like Harvard Business Review or Inc. or Forbes, and I want to be published there. But before you jump in front of like all of the other steps, (laughs) knowing what your business goals are, like why do you want to be published anywhere? Why do you want to write articles for publication? What are you hoping it will do for your business? How do you want to use these? What is the business purpose that underlies all of this? Hmm. The more you understand why you want to do this and what your goals are for writing for publications, the easier it becomes to, I call it creating filters. You use those goals as filters to say, okay, this is what I want to do. These publications will help me get there. These won't. What types of pursuits, what types of businesses and objectives are the types that people should be thinking about writing an article for a publication as opposed to some of the more, I would say, quote unquote, traditional marketing techniques that we have now with the social media blitz campaign or everything else? So the obvious easy ones are professional services businesses. So if you're a consultant, if you're a business coach, if you're anything that does professional services, those are easy, easy fits into these publications. Less obvious, but equally true are if your industry has an association or has a trade journal, that's an opportunity to write for them because other people in your same industry are always looking for smart, actionable advice that is going to allow them to do what they do better. So if you're in the supply chain world, there are a ton, (laughs) a ton (laughs) of publications regarding supply chain. There are a ton of associations. That's a great place to connect with your audience and start building your reputation as somebody who really is an authoritative expert. When you're going through whatever social media feed or standard marketing method, you know, anyone can kind of just take out an ad or anyone can pay Google to get to the top of the search engine. So is there a different way that people think about it when they see something in an industry publication, even if it's general entrepreneurial stuff like Entrepreneur, Inc. Magazine, and some of those those magazines that I'm a bit more familiar with myself? Yeah, absolutely. In part because 
as you said, anybody can put a post up there and say, oh, I'm fabulous. Also, anybody can call themselves a thought leader. Please don't do that. Somebody else should call you a thought leader. But anyway, side Hmm. note, Um, (laughs) anybody can put stuff out there. But if you are putting something, if you're publishing something in a third-party outlet, they are vetting you. So trade journals, business magazines like Entrepreneur and Inc., they are vetting you and deciding, okay, here is somebody who has something that our readers would benefit from. Here is somebody who is worth listening to. So it gives you that social proof and almost that stamp of approval. So I've had clients who have used writing for publications as ways to get into, get meetings. So it can be hard to get in the door an environmental health and safety management consultant was one of my first clients. And he was brilliant at using these publications to get meetings with people that he was having a hard time getting a face-to-face with. But as soon as he sent them something that was written for EHS Today, a trade journal that is very well respected in that industry, the doors were open and he was able to get meetings and have the conversations he needed to have. Wow. And so... Getting published in a trade journal, a magazine, a key publication generally takes a little bit more effort and energy than just issuing an advertisement. Is that right? Yeah, as well it should. This is your reputation at stake. So yes, so it definitely takes a little bit more energy and effort. It becomes easier over time. Ads are fine if you have the money and the budget to do advertising. And if you have all of the things set up that you can actually respond to the leads that come in through your advertising. I used to work for a small ad agency and you would be shocked at the number of companies that we worked with. We did this whole ad campaign. The ad campaigns were successful and then the leads sat there. They had no idea what to do with the leads. So you have to have a lot of infrastructure in place. You don't need as much infrastructure in place. You need knowledge. You need experience. You need something insightful to say to write for publications. That's all they care about. Are you going to say something that our readers will benefit from? And if you will, then you can do that. And then it's all about How do you leverage that? For most publications, they are perfectly happy. They want original content to start with. But after 10 to 14 days, you can syndicate that stuff. So you can take that exact same article and now publish it on your blog, publish it into a LinkedIn newsletter, repurpose it, use it however you want so that you can get as much mileage out of that as possible. Now, it's interesting that you have the perspective of both your current endeavor as well as having worked for an ad agency. And you mentioned these companies that just didn't have the infrastructure. And by the infrastructure, I assume you're meaning the people ready to follow up on the leads, the whatever you call that division, marketing, sales, anything else. When you issue and get published in a key industry publication, do the leads come in differently? Are they a different type of lead that requires a different level of infrastructure or is it similar? Vastly different. You get your first article published on Inc.com, the hordes are not going to come knocking down your door. They're just not. So it's not about, it is less about, I do this and I immediately see this influx. It's much more about, I do this. Now, how do I use that credibility that I have just built? I now have credibility as an Inc. columnist. 
how can I use that to further those goals? So sometimes if one of those goals is, for example, interviewing other experts in your field, once you're an ink columnist, ink allows you to do that. Entrepreneur, by the way, does not. So that's one of those filters I was talking about earlier. Oh, wow. Is, okay. yeah. yeah, figuring out what you want to do and which publications will let you. So if that's one of your goals, that opens the door because now you get to say to somebody, hey, Stephen, I am an ink columnist. I would love to interview you for my column. Very few people mm-hmm. are going to say no to that idea. <laughs> it is yeah. free publicity for them. So you get to be very intentional about who you want to, to go after and ask for that kind of a conversation. And that allows you to start building relationships. It's also a great door opener for if you want to do more public speaking, you can say, okay, here's this conference. I'm an ink columnist. And the conference, the event planner is saying, oh, this is somebody who actually has something valuable to say. They've already been vetted by ink. It's also, and this is my my last one of these because I could go on forever. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's also a great way to start if you are thinking of writing a book. Some of the best business writers write articles first because they're testing their ideas. And as they do the research, you may as well use that research to put something out there. So if you watch Cal Newport, he wrote Deep Work, one of my all-time favorites. But anyway, you always know when he has a new book coming out because the articles shift. And you can actually see if you totally nerd out, which is a me thing, um, (laughs) you can actually see how his thought process evolves as he digs deeper and deeper into the material and as he's creating the book. So articles came first. Those were all things that he could use because he was already doing so much of the work. And then he came out with a book. And by then his audience was already primed because he was talking about those things. And so when a book came out, it was like, well, obviously I'm going to get this book. Yeah, that actually reminds me of one of my favorite individuals as a bicycle enthusiast, also a music fan, is David Byrne. And he wrote a book called Bicycle Diaries after essentially having a lot of that stuff in in his blog Yeah, about that, this idea of social proof. And it seems like there's a few different ways to get it. A lot of people build websites where they have testimonials from their clients versus the vetting of a magazine or establishing your own blog. What are the general advantages and disadvantages of these different methods of obtaining your social proof so that when you do go to meet with someone, they have an answer to that that question, who are you, essentially? Yeah. Social proof is always tricky because there's a lot of malarkey. This is this is me not swearing. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of malarkey yeah. social proof out there. There are people who will say, as seen in, and they put all of these logos and... It was a press release. Like rock on with your bad self, but come on, you can do better than that. (laughs) Or I was named a top five such and such on entrepreneur. And then you click through to the article and it's a sponsored piece, which means it's an advertisement, which means no, you were not named a top five anything by entrepreneur. So there's a lot of shenanigans that happen in this space with the social proof. So it always comes back to be legit. If you're putting a logo on your website, make sure that it is connecting it. And if it's profiling you, this is a place where I run into trouble because I have logos on there, but it's clients who have been profiled there. Yeah, Some of whom are happy to have people know that I work with them and some of whom 
are not. So, (laughs) but if it's your thing and you're like, I was profiled here and you have the logo to that publication, have a link to that place where I can now read that profile. Not everybody will click, true. But people like me, I click on all the things. (laughs) (laughs) If you have testimonials, the best testimonials are the ones that actually have the person's name. Like a client from such and such, you can just make that up. Yeah, for sure. Why should I believe this? So is that something that people are generally getting better at as we go through time? Because our use of the internet is still relatively new. It's still relatively recent type of phenomenon. And some people kind of, you know, realized you can put whatever you want on the internet. You can say whatever you want on the internet and it's easy. So it seems like one of the important aspects of this whole process is getting good at vetting it both with your own work, as well as with anyone that you decide to work with. If you are looking at someone's website to make sure, okay, are these links there? Do these things make sense? Or is this actual legitimate social proof? Is this actual legitimate experience that matters essentially? Yeah. We have to vet the folks that we are going to work with as well. And we have to get better at that. And as experts, it behooves us to to be as transparent as we possibly can in terms of our social proof because it takes a long time to build a solid, good, positive reputation. It takes seconds to destroy it. Yeah, I think we've seen plenty and of examples of that it, lately. It, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so many of the examples are examples that you don't even know about and that nobody will ever see. I'll see things on LinkedIn from somebody who I'm like, okay, I'm following them and I think they're really smart. And I'm like, this is somebody I might work with. One post can get them blocked. You do a wrong step and show something that I'm like, nope, our values are fundamentally opposed. And you've just lost people because of that. So being really intentional with what you're putting out there, with what your area of expertise is, it's all about trust and you can lose that trust so easily if you do any of these shenanigans and there are a lot of shenanigans to be done, but like, I prefer my shenanigans in an Irish pub. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I definitely agree with that for sure. And it's interesting that you note that for every high profile case that we've seen in the news, there's thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people who have ruined their reputation in a different way that just, you know, didn't make national news or anything like that. But it was someone who posted something that either didn't make sense or something that was potentially divisive, which is something that I try to avoid having on this podcast specifically that could potentially put people off for no good reason or give people a negative impression of you. Yeah. And there are different ways to be divisive. You can be, I am very opinionated. Yeah, for sure. You can be opinionated without being a jerk. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And you can say, okay, I disagree, but you can dive into it because nine times out of 10, if you disagree, but you have a respectful conversation, you will learn something and it will make your own argument. You may not change your mind and you may not change the other person's mind, but both of you have the opportunity to think more deeply about whatever the subject matter is and add some more nuance to your position. Hmm, that's interesting. And so what's the key to having a more 
productive conversation about something when you disagree, say you feel like publications should do this, but someone else feels like they should not allow people to like post it on LinkedIn or something like that. Yeah. I think a big part of it is do your research, have your arguments in place, know what you know, know what is opinion. Separating fact from opinion is critical. I talk a lot to my clients about hot takes, opinion pieces, and newsjacking. Terrible phrase. But that's all like, how do you respond to if something's in the news cycle? These are all tactics to respond to that thing that's in the news cycle in order to gain attention. And it can be very effective. It can also backfire spectacularly. And and we saw this with a few weeks ago, there was the crying CEO. Yeah. Like everybody and their brother had to have an opinion about this guy. And it was like, after <laughs> yeah. like a day and a half, I was like, who cares? Yeah, you can get fatigued on that stuff for you sure. get fatigued really easily. And then a lot of it was, there were things that were just mean and mm-hmm. unkind. And it's like, well, you know, do you really know enough? Do you have standing to be that negative about this? Like, it's one thing to critique and raise some of the questions and concerns that that post did raise. It's another thing to slam an individual personally and to yeah. make it personal. Remembering that you don't know all of it. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah. You know, being able to like have the receipts and being able to say like, if it comes out a couple of weeks later that you were completely wrong, being able to backtrack without having to like lose face and without having to be like, you know, yes, losing face and saying, hey, I was wrong, but not in terms of there are now things in here that I fundamentally regret saying. Remember, these people are people. And just because there's a computer screen between us and them does not mean that we can behave like horrible humans. I wish so many people (laughs) would take that phrase to heart, you know, just because (laughs) of the screen in front. Because (laughs) there are some things that people will say in front of a screen that you would never see them say if they were actually next to the person and feeling their energy, seeing their eye contact, seeing their phrase. It's almost like it gives us the potential to treat people as as less than human in in some particular cases. Now, this is something that you also talk about with your clients when they're actually writing their publications, because oftentimes when you write an article in a publication, you're going to have an opinion. And one Mm -hmm. of the things in the... In In fact, you have to. Yeah. So you have to have an opinion. And like, like one of the hot topics is what companies are asking their people to go back into the office a few days a week versus the people that want to kind of stay fully remote. You're going to come in and you're going to have an opinion about it. And there are going to be some facts. The facts are kind of a little bit fledging because we only still have a couple of years of experience with that. Mm -hmm. And so in this particular example, one of the keys is to understand the limitations of what someone will say, like, the C-level suite tends to want people back in the office more, but the rank and file employees tend to want more remote work flexibility, which can be kind of a fact based on surveys taken and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But like, where does that limitation come in to say, okay, we understand that this is a fact based on surveys, but then there are some things about it, about what's more productive, what's right and what's wrong that tend to go into the realm of where it's an opinion. Right. 
So the biggest thing is not all opinions are created equal. Okay. My grandmother yeah. had a had a saying, opinions are like a particular part of the anatomy down below. Everybody has one and they all stink. Everybody has an opinion on that particular matter. Even folks like me who work from home and always have, I have an opinion. But mm-hmm. why should anybody care about my opinion? I would never write about that because I have no standing to write about that. This is one of those stay in your lane. If it is within your area of expertise, if you write about workplace culture, if you write about those types of things, then yes, you are absolutely like, you have my blessing, not that anybody cares, um, to write about exactly that. But you have standing to actually have an opinion. You have a reason to have an opinion that anybody else would care about. If I wrote about stuff like that, why would anybody care? Why should they care? Mm -hmm. That is not my lane. So... Yeah. That's the first piece is evaluating it to yourself with you know, just because you have a strong emotional reaction and a strong opinion to something doesn't mean that you have to write about it. That's again where the Irish pub comes in. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions and I can yeah. hold court. Give me a good Irish pub and a glass of whiskey and I can hold court <laughs> and and like espouse all of my opinions and solve the problems of the world. That's the place to do it. Online, where I'm building a reputation for myself and my business, I stay in my lane. (laughs) Well, I love this whole Irish pub conversation because I I feel like we all need that equivalent of the Irish pub. Your circle where you can have your emotional reaction, you can have your opinions, but you're right because I even think about LinkedIn is the most common public forum for where people advance their businesses, their careers, talk about what they're doing. Every once in a while, you'll see an opinion about something and you don't want to necessarily turn off. Like, for example, in your business, you wouldn't want to turn off someone that wants people to return to the office or wants people to keep working remotely because that's like a a completely separate opinion and completely separate from what you're trying to help your clients do, which is find and get published in the right publication. Yeah. And yet there are some people I am perfectly happy to turn off. Yeah. So turning off the people that are not your people, like I want to fire up and really resonate with the people who I know I'm going to be able to do my best work with and they're doing something and I can be all in. There are folks who talk about things that like, frankly, if you're in the gun industry, like, yeah, good luck. I'm not your person. Yeah. Because that is something that I feel very strongly about. So there are places where you can turn people off. And I think that that's a positive because the people who do resonate with what you're saying, those are the folks that you are going to do the best possible work with and for. And the folks that you're like, I just don't drive with you. You can't give all of yourself to those relationships. So... Yeah, I know perfectly well in my my particular instances that I sometimes have trouble driving with people who are really, really wanting to hold on to a, the strongly hierarchical work structures of the 20th century. You know, that's just something that never made sense to me when I came to work and people would start talking about things like like a war room and a chain of command. And I'm like, right. like, like who are we who are we battling? We're just trying to get a job right. done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like, how closed off are they? If if they are absolutely closed off to having that conversation, they are not your people. If that is their MO, but they're open to considering something else, it still might not be the right client 
service provider relationship, but it can certainly be a respectful conversation. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like what you're saying is that even though you know we want to know who we're not going to jive it with, there still are dumb ways to turn people off. There are still there's still 100%. dumb moves you can make. And so when you're looking into getting published into a publication when your clients are, is that something that they need to really avoid? Or is that something that the publications themselves do a good job of vetting for and saying, okay, like because very few people want to pick up the Inc. magazine, and I keep just referring to the ones that I read the most, and just say, oh, here's someone just going on a on a rant about why they don't think Tesla should make cars anymore or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're probably not going to like publish that, right? Oh, they might. Okay. So contrarian viewpoints are catnip to editors. Oh, wow. Okay. So how you do it is what really matters because at the end of the day, it's your name on that byline. It's your reputation at stake. And you are the person that I am going to judge for whatever you're saying in there. Editors like a contrarian viewpoint because it it gets buzz. It gets readership. So whether you love it or hate it, think about like all the books you've ever read. The ones that stand out in my mind are the books that I either hate and still remember years later or absolutely loved. Mm -hmm. Same with this. So that can get a lot of buzz. As long as it's not just a rant and there is substance there, they are not going to save you from yourself. That's your job. That's not the editor's job. You're saying that people are more likely to judge the author than the magazine itself. 100%. If it's a hot topic, they're going to have other perspectives on that exact same hot topic at the same time. So the magazine is safe because it's sort of like, and they always have the little like, the opinions of our contributors are not our opinions. Like we do not take responsibility for this mofo. Like, so so, yeah. And do do they sometimes try to balance it out and to use the Tesla example I randomly referred to? Someone says like, Tesla should not make automobiles. And then like maybe a few weeks later, put out a publication, someone else saying why Tesla is the future of automobiles. You know, this way, they're not really the publication having a side. They're just showing the range of opinions on this particular topic. If it's of interest enough to their readers, they will jump on it. So Mm. because again, like if somebody puts something up, Tesla shouldn't make cars anymore. And somebody puts that up and, and the readers are sort of like, yeah, who cares? And there's no like, energy behind it you know if somebody else submits something maybe they'll post that like that might get into like a battle of the experts but the publication is probably not going to assign one of their writers or freelancers to cover that story if it gets a lot of energy then the publication might say to one of their staff writers hey let's do a more in-depth piece on tesla and the pros and the cons and like come up with something In that case, the publication is more likely to show here's the debate and less likely to say, here's where we stand, but more likely to say, okay, here's the arguments on this side. Here's the arguments on that side. And dear reader, knock your socks off and come up with your own conclusion. One of the things that I commonly think about, and this is, this goes with any kind of pursuit of getting noticed, whether it is you're applying for new jobs, whether it is you're trying to get new clients for your business or trying to get investors, is that there are a lot of factors that are kind of outside of your control, right? And so like, this is an example, like maybe a publication doesn't want to publish your article because they recently had an experience with a similar article and it didn't go the way they really wanted to. And that's something Mm -hmm. that you don't always have in your mind. You can't really control it. 
And yeah. so is it advisable for someone who's looking to get noticed by a certain industry to kind of think of four to five different publications that would get themselves noticed to control for some of these factors? Yeah. So part of that is, is start with one. Okay. And then work your way. It really kind of depends on what those publications are because every publication has a different way that they like to be pitched or approached. Some you're applying for the privilege, some are pay to play and you have to join like Forbes is you join the Forbes council and that gives you the right to publish on their platform. Others are a more traditional pitch. And to your point, what was so great about that point that I don't want to allow to escape us is, so I also work as a freelance editor and I am on, it's called the slush pile. That's like where Mm -hmm. all the pitches come in and I'll have to go through a hundred to 150 pitches and identify 10. Not that we say yes to 10 that I bring to the rest of the editorial team. Okay. So when you're narrowing it down from 150 to 10, it is not personal. It might be. If your pitch is terrible, <laughs> it's personal. Um, you probably see some terrible pitches in your time. Yeah, tons, tons. And and you will see terrible pitches to your podcast. People who have yeah. no idea what it's about, you know, same ideas. So do your basic research and that, that at least puts you in good standing. But yeah. I always tell my clients, if you get a rejection, it is not personal. It is a rejection of that specific idea at that specific time. So pitch again. If this publication rejects that specific idea right now, well, you might be able to pitch it to this publication over here. You don't want to pitch both at once, but you can pitch that second one. One of them says no. You can say, okay, now I'm going to pitch it over here and see if they're into it. And I think that's an amazing way for people to look at rejection because rejection is one of the main obstacles. I have this model in my head for obstacles to success that everyone Mm -hmm. must kind of overcome. And that final obstacle is rejection once you've actually started moving and and building on things. But when you get rejected, it's not a rejection of you as a person or your business. It's a rejection of your specific pitch, whatever that specific pitch is, whether it's to be published or whether it's to get business or an investor or a job or something. It's a rejection of that pitch for that particular person or organization at that particular time, you know, given their circumstance and that even particular organization, person, publication might have a different time when the timing is more right for that particular idea. Yeah. And it's good to remember, like sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Nothing at all to do with you. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with you. Yeah. And that's like kind of even thinking about some of these controversial ideas, like maybe a publication is just thinking, okay, we've we've leaned a little bit too much into this realm of ideas Mm -hmm. and we need to broaden our perspectives a little bit more or we need to cover a different topic because maybe people are getting tired of this topics. I mean, we've covered before about topics people just get tired of. Yeah. And the news cycle moves fast. So if you're writing, if you're pitching an idea about something that happened last week, you're too late. The news cycle has moved on. Like it's just, especially these days, like the news cycle has always moved pretty fast, but like these days, nobody's talking about it anymore. So you miss that opportunity. And that's part of why I tend to much prefer what's called evergreen content, the stuff that is always relevant. You can still take risks in terms of having a very strong point of view, in terms of 
you know, which you should do. You want to have bold statements. You want to stand out because if you're saying the same thing as everybody else in that publication, why should an editor say yes? You don't want to add noise. You want to add insights. You want to add value. Oh yeah. I mean, I even take that into my personal life. Like if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're saying the same thing as everyone else at a given point in time, I'm like, okay, this isn't, this right, isn't like adding peace. value to my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. get it. Like like 14 other people have made that same exact statement to me in the last two years. So yeah, <laughs> or sometimes 1400 other people or, or whichever. Yeah. And so what are some examples of this evergreen content, the type of content. And I, I always think of the first example we all learned like in high school, like William Shakespeare. And the reason why people mm-hmm. still love his plays 400 years later is because those things are always going to be part of the human experience. That's a such a good point because there's evergreen and there's evergreen. There's yeah. Shakespeare evergreen. And then yeah. there's the business world evergreen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. The business world evergreen is more like, a couple of months. Oh, but basically, yeah. if it's not related directly to something in the news cycle, if it's something that is your area of expertise, like yes, your area of expertise, like to talk about my own area, it's it's getting published. Yeah. The industry is constantly evolving and changing, but there are certain things that are standard, like guidelines, contributor guidelines. Every publication has them. Not every publication bothers to publish them, which they should, but anyway. Um, (laughs) But that's always there. So they're either written or they're implied guidelines. Those are always there. Publications always have a particular audience. They're those, those standard things that if you're in the leadership space, you know, certain kinds of leadership, especially if that's your area of expertise, that is stuff that you can talk about. That is evergreen content. So as much as the business world does evolve and change, rarely are those evolutions and changes sudden and dramatic. So mm, yeah, every once in a while they are, but then those level out again, like the internet, sudden and dramatic change. Now we're all used to it. Like yeah, for- <laughs> my nephews would not understand a world before internet. That's just because (laughs) this is what they were born into. So, which I will say makes me feel like pretty fancy because we had to learn how to live in this world. If you can pitch it this week and if somebody says no and you can pitch the same thing a month later, that's evergreen. The difference between say the content of of an Eminem song from about 20 years ago where there was so much current event topics that you'd have to kind of, look back at historical news articles to really understand all the references. You know, one of my favorite shows, South Park had, you know, (laughs) they always seem to be on like those current event topics because they, a new story breaks and they just kind of just work intensely to put together a show in like 48 hours so that it's relevant. Yeah. That is newsjacking. Actually, that's a great example of newsjacking. They would basically take something that happened in the news and be like, yep, we are going to use this so that we can stay relevant and gain people's attention. I see. So newsjacking is what it's called, right? Yeah. Newsjacking is a marketing term. Oh, David Meerman Scott, I might be getting his name wrong. He he yeah. kind of coined this term. And some of it is absolutely brilliant. It's often in social media. You know, a while ago, let's see, a while ago, I think it was Krispy Kreme Donuts Mm-hmm. tied the price of their dozen donuts to gas. Oh, and it, yeah, it was, you know, that. and that yeah. got a whole lot of publicity and like 
that's brilliant newsjacking. So there's the newsjacking, there's hot takes, which is basically something happened in the news today, and I'm going to write about it in order to get that publicity. And it's riding on the coattails of the news cycle, basically. I see. So so essentially what people need to think about is, do I want to ride on the coattails of the news cycle? In which case you have to like move on something pretty much right away. Yeah. For it to still you have to be move relevant. on it very quickly. You can do that well and you can do it poorly. So make sure you're mm. doing it for the right reasons. My big thing is always, and have like your little circle of friends that you can go to and be like, is this legit? Like, how does this hit you? Because if it hits wrong, we all have that dark side of ourselves. Yeah. I can, I can <laughs> yeah. really like to feel superior. So that's usually my check is I'm like, I feel like I am smarter than all of you people. And this is why I'm writing this thing. And then I'm like, let me share this with a few friends. And I'm like, valid and valuable and helpful and insightful or superior jerk. Are these the same friends that are at the shenanigans Irish pub or is this a different location? (laughs) (laughs) These are that's like as funny as that question is. It's also a really good one. Typically different. Those are my like my business world friends who understand how this online business world works and can say, you know, hey girl, like you got to rein that in. Or this part was insightful, but here you get a little off on a rant and rave. And you know, so knowing your own biases, knowing your own dark side, and being able to say, okay here's my biggest challenge. I can come across like a superior jerk because I can start feeling like a superior jerk (laughs) when I get, (laughs) when like something triggers me. So knowing that and being able to have somebody who can help you check yourself before you publish something that is just a rant and rave and not a helpful thing. I see. So, so you go to shenanigans, Irish pub to rant and rave and and get it off your chest, but then you go to your neighborhood coffee shop to ask, okay, Uh, is this something I know, like, you you know, me, I know personally, my biggest weakness is I become like a, like a vengeful contrarian when I, Mm -hmm. when I get triggered by something, you know, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to reassert myself that I have my own opinion so much that I'm going to like sound nastier than I want to sound and nastier than I want to be as a person, right? Because that's oftentimes, whether it's that vengeful contrarian on my side or whether it's that like superior jerk on your side, that's not, that's not even who you really want to be actually. Yeah. That's not how I want to move around in the world. So like you can have those conversations because everybody's doing a little rant and rave at the Irish pub and like, it's a good time. And you have, you have a whiskey and your best buds by the end, even if you disagree, but In the online world, that's where you really have to be careful. I talked about the crying CEO a little bit earlier. I turned that into because I was so frustrated that everybody was jumping onto this bandwagon in ways that were not terribly thoughtful that I actually wrote a post that was all about here's seven questions you should ask yourself. One post that was all about newsjacking, opinion pieces, and hot takes, what the difference is. And one post that was here are seven questions to ask yourself before you jump into the fray, because sometimes that's not a helpful place to be. Sometimes, yes, but make sure you're doing it deliberately, intentionally, and respectfully. Hmm. Interesting. Deliberately, intentionally, and respectfully. And if people 
want to come across the right way and not put people off stupidly or not uh, ruin their reputation. Uh, they can kind of think along those ways. And, and that's a good segue because where would someone find this opinion piece as well as your website if someone listening to this podcast wanted to get a hold of you and wanted to talk to you about getting published in the right publication for the right reasons at the right time? Yeah. So my website is catchlinecommunications.com. I have a blog on there where all of my pieces, including those two pieces that I was talking about, are published. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. It is my one and only social media platform, which I find delightful because I used to be on all of them. Um, <laughs> no, that could be exhausting. People got to pick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's one place that I am. And, and that's where I really engage with folks. And then the one other piece is I, I do a free Q&A every month, the second Wednesday of each month. It's uh, pitched to published. And I start with like 10 minutes of training. And then I just open the floor to whatever questions are in the room and do my best to provide some answers and guidelines and guidance and all that good stuff. So that's wonderful. And then one final question, uh, given that your mission is to get your clients published in a lot of publications, are you published in a lot of publications? Yeah. So I've been a freelance writer and freelance editor for over a decade. So I have been on both sides of the pitch and I am still on both sides of the pitch, though I do I do less of the freelance writing work now. So I know what it's like. My very first editor, I I was approached. I was a little surprised that I was approached. She took me under her wing and taught me everything about this business. And the first piece that I wrote came back with red pen everywhere. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to go crawl under the nearest oh my rock gosh. <laughs> and not come out. And she was like, but it's really good. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh my God. Like, that's not what really good means in school. And I was like a good little straight A doobie student. So <laughs> yeah. So that's that's been part of it. That's part of what inspired Catchline Communications is this is the stuff that I love. This is where you can share your ideas, you can share your insights, where you can provide value by writing. And and this is my writing bias. I very strongly believe that the more you write, the deeper you think. And the deeper you think about things, that just makes you so much better at your work as a speaker, as like all of those things. And it helps you understand your area of expertise. There's always another deeper level to go. There's always more nuance to explore. So even if someone's not going to say, want to get published in a publication, people should write something. I know it's common nowadays for people to at least like have a blog of some yeah. sort about their, their topic. My blog is about travel and nothing to do with this. I just, it's the way my life turned out, but you know, even just blogging about something and trying to get better at blogging is going to cause them to become deeper in their thoughts about their area. About whatever, whatever area they're writing about. This is my bias. There are people who hate writing. Okay, then talk about it. And one thing I often say is it's it's not about the ink, it's about the think. So if writing a first draft is hell for you, take your phone for a little walk and talk into it and then get a transcript of what you said. And that gives you a first draft. Then you can polish it. But really, it's it's about thinking and making sure that your thoughts are coming across clearly. And writing and talking help each other and work together really, really beautifully. 
So in the end, it's really that you have to figure out how you're going to communicate whatever it is you're offering, whatever it is you're doing, um, whether it's a certain perspective that's going to inform how you're going to work with your clients or how you're going to work with your organizations, or whether it be a communication of a method, a manner of doing your work, essentially. Yeah. It's, I mean, all of this, <laughs> that's life, yeah. right? Like it's all communication. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's something that we all need to learn a little bit more of. Yeah. <laughs> so Erica, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, providing some context for people as to how to effectively communicate. I really love the whole thing about having a strong opinion, but communicating it tactfully and in the right kind of intentional setting so that you're not stupidly putting people off for no reason, as well as how to really kind of think about the idea of rejection and the idea of the shenanigans Irish pub in all of our <laughs> lives, whatever form it takes, or, and also the, the the coffee shop, the, the group of people that are going to kind of vet some of your more raw instincts, I will say. Yeah. 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 This was great, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. And I'd also like to thank everybody out there listening for tuning into Actions Antidotes for being on this this journey, this path uh, alongside all of us in getting us to the place where what we do with most of our lives is really indeed what we want to be doing, what we feel like we should be doing deep within ourselves, within our psyche. Stay tuned or tune back in for more episodes of Action to Antidotes or go back because there's probably about 65 other before this. I hope you all have a fantastic day.